Off the Record, the weekly KOTO public affairs show that offers you, the listener, an opportunity to hear in-depth conversations on community topics and issues that matter. As always, you are encouraged to join the conversation by calling 728-4333. Now here's your host. Good evening, KOTO listeners. This is Julia Caulfield from the KOTO News Team. I'm your host this evening. And we have another election candidate forum coming to you. We're talking with the five candidates vying for three seats on the Telluride R1 School District Board of Education. It's a mouthful. Um, We're going to start the program with the candidates getting to give some opening statements as to why they're running. I have some prepared questions as well. But as a reminder, this is a call-in program, so we want to hear from you. If you have any questions for the candidates, please give us a call at 970-728-4333. If you call and the candidates are in the middle of saying something, we're going to answer the phone, but we're not going to bring you up on the air right away. So hang tight. If you don't hear our voices right off the bat, we got you. Just hang in, and we'll bring you on air as soon as we can. Let me introduce the candidates. We have David Lavender, Cheryl Karstens-Miller, Ryan Robinson, Alexis Hodel, and Quentin Strand. Thank you all for being here this evening. Thank you. Thanks Thank for you. having us. Thank you, Joy. Right. It's a packed house. Um, and we're just gonna, we're gonna jump right in. We have a lot of things to cover this evening. So we're gonna start off with just brief statements for y'all on who you are and why are you running for school board? And David, we'll start with you. Sure, thanks, Julian. Thanks, Kodo, for uh, sponsoring this. It's terrific. Um, my name's David Lavender. And last spring, I retired after almost uh, 20 years of teaching high school English here in Telluride. Uh, frankly, during all those years teaching, as well as working alongside my wife, Karen, uh, who served as our college counselor, uh, literally took up all of my time. And so even as I'm relishing retirement, I'm very excited to finally have the opportunity to take a more direct part in the, this t- our town's uh, wonderful tradition of volunteerism. Serving on school boards seems just a natural fit in so many ways in terms of my desire to give back to the community. Um, I am enormously proud of our district's long-standing record of excellence and remain deeply invested in seeing that tradition continue. Um, what I hope to bring to the board is a well-cultivated understanding of just what makes for a dynamic classroom environment, an understanding that's informed by having spent some 35 years teaching at a range of institutions. Uh, I taught literature and composition in the California State University system, was a teaching writing fellow at the University of Iowa Writers Workshop, uh, served as the English department chair, uh, both at the Colorado Rocky Mountain School in Carbondale and uh, the Hawaii Preparatory Academy on the Big Island. Um, For years, I worked with the college board, helping to score the AP English League exam, and as an outgrowth of that work, became a consultant for the National Math and Science Initiative, which had me traveling to schools throughout the West to present workshops and gain insight into uh, different instructional methodologies and school policies. Uh, But THS, where I spent the bulk of my professional career, remains closest to my heart. Fun fact, my great great-grandfather and his sister were two of the first recorded uh, graduates of Telluride High School. Uh, that legacy means a lot to me personally, but it's not the real reason I'm running for school board. I want to work hard at forging partnerships between parents, teachers, administrators, and staff that are rooted in the common goal of creating the means by which each and every child can realize his or her full potential. Go Miners. Thank you. 
Cheryl, we will go to you next. Okay, so I'm Cheryl Carstens-Miller. Um, over the last 14 years, I have sat on the school board for 10 of those years. I did have a four-year gap in the middle. Um, and I have always been passionate about school, first as a student uh, through college and then later as a parent of students and gotten involved in various committees and budget and um, I've got a technology degree so numbers were always kind of my thing and uh, which evolved into being invited onto the school board and I was thrilled. Um, I've learned a lot. I keep learning. I go to the state level. I've made relationships with our legislatures to advocate for the best interests of our schools. And that really comes down to why I do this. I believe education is hugely important for our society as well as the individual. And um, it just makes sense to do the best we can for the kids. It's not about me personally. It's about what works best for the kids. Thank you. Perfect. Ryan, we'll go to you. Thank you, Julia. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for having me. I've always been told I have a face for radio, so it seems like the perfect <laughs> medium uh, for me to be doing this. So I'm Ryan Robinson. I'm currently on the school board uh, and obviously running for re-election. Um, I joined the school board 14 months ago, so not nearly the tenure uh, that Cheryl brings, uh, but it's been a great experience for me. And, you know, most of all, my family just loves being a part of the Telluride community. And so for me, the main motivation is finding a way to give back to this wonderful community that's given so much to me uh, and my family. And I feel like the school board is a great way for me uh, to give back and make a positive impact for all our children and families in this special community. I've got three kids who are uh, in the school district currently in sixth grade, fourth grade, and first grade. They've had a wonderful learning and social experience in the schools. So that's also part of my motivation uh, for wanting to be on the school board. Uh, you know, the Telluride School District is currently ranked as the number two district in all of Colorado. We've got a fantastic team of teachers and staff who care deeply and work incredibly hard to educate our kids. Um, there's a lot to be proud of, and I think there's also everyone would acknowledge a lot to improve on. Uh, and so I'm excited to hopefully continue working closely with the teachers, the staff, the leadership team, uh, and the rest of the school board on topics where we can support our teachers and see the greatest positive impacts for all our children in Telluride. Thank you. Alexis, we'll go to you. All right. Uh, my name is Alexis Hodel, and I am running for school board because I feel it is one of the um, opportunities for me to give back to the community. There are a lot of things during work hours that I'm not able to participate in, and this being something that is after hours that I can attend and, and participate in means a lot to me to help give back to our schools. Um, I have two kids in, in the program in, in schools, um, fifth grade and third grade, and they've both had spectacular experiences um, at our school, and I want to... I guess kind of um, help promote that and continue the, the success that we've had while still acknowledging that there's room for improvement as there always is and trying to work together with everybody, the students, the teachers, the faculty, the staff, the community, even those who don't have kids um, and really just focus on, on the community. I do feel like the schools are one of the few things that we as locals have for us that are that's just ours and they're fantastic schools and I want to capitalize on that and be a part of the success and the excellence to 
continue moving that forward. Quentin, we'll go to you. Thank you, Julia, for having us here this evening. My name is Quentin Strand. Uh, I grew up in a military family, and I had the unique uh, opportunity to attend school in a number of different forms. I've spent time in public schools in America. I've attended schools in Department of Defense in overseas in, Ath in uh, Germany and Spain, and I've also attended American-taught international schools in Athens, Greece. And so I have a, a really well, uh, a good background in different kind of educational um, opportunities as a youth. Uh, I moved here 23 years ago. I met my wife here. Um, we have two children who attend the Telluride School District. Um, I, I once worked for the Telluride School District. I currently work for the Norwood School District and have also worked in the Ridgeway School District. Um, I'm running for the school board because I believe wholeheartedly that the school uh, board needs teachers on the school board. Um, it's my belief sincerely that the most important thing we do is educate our children and the most the, the most impact is created by our teachers and being a teacher myself I understand what the inside of the classroom looks like and what it can look like and what it should look like and I hope to bring my uh, experience and background to the Telluride School Board so that I can offer some advice on how we can move forward and help our children uh, excel beyond what they've already been doing here in the Telluride School District. Thank you. Um, we've all we've heard why y'all are running for school board, but you know I think for maybe a lot of folks, whether they're involved in the school or not, they might not really know what the school board does. Like, what is the job that y'all are doing? So. Um, I would love to hear from each of you. What do you see as the role of the school board when it comes to governance of the district and, and its role in the community? And Cheryl, we'll start with you. Yes. So um, there's actually two models of school boards. There's the traditional model where school boards can get into everything involved with the school. And there are some small districts that don't even have a superintendent. And then there is the policy governance model, which we've adopted, which is where the school board monitors what's going on at the school and sets the bigger vision of where we want to go and um, figure and sets goals with the superintendent on what areas we need to improve on and then work through how we're going to get there is what we're doing working or not so it's basically setting aspirational goals and monitoring our progress thank you ryan we'll go to you yeah to build on what cheryl said you know i think um one of the main uh, roles of the school board is to make sure that we're setting the right priorities uh, for the leadership team at the schools, making sure the leadership team is held accountable for uh, you know what's achieved by the district, both celebrating uh, the victories as well as figuring out why we fell short in other areas and uh, making sure that we're prioritizing the right things in order to be able to achieve the common set of goals that we've all um, worked on. I think, you know, another aspect of it is representing the community uh, and making sure that uh, the school district is providing the type of education that the community wants for our kids and kind of meeting the standards that the community wants to see and kind of, uh, I keep saying kind of, but providing that um, that connection between the community and the school so that we can kind of uh, serve as the voice uh, for the community. Alexis. Um, similar to the prior two candidates, I feel that the school board is kind of a guiding light and uh, for the school district, for the teachers and the faculty, um, and kind of focusing on the big picture so that 
this, the teachers when at school with our students can focus on what they do best and knowing that we'll take care of the larger issues, um, housing, bond measures, those fun things, um, while allowing the teachers to focus on what they do best with our students and providing a great education. Quinton. Uh, thank you very much. As a part of my master's program work in education administration, I've been able to attend several board meetings over the past few years. I would like to take this opportunity to announce I get to graduate in December. I'm so thrilled to be finished with my master's program. The way I see the board is I, I definitely agree with the previous candidates. I see the board as a, a liaison between the school and our community. Um, in order, I mean, going back to the old saying, it takes a community to raise a child. I think that we need to hear the voices of our community members, and I believe that's where we play our biggest role. What do our community members envision for our school, and how can we best serve our children? And on top of that, I believe that uh, we need to set up programs to help our teachers be most successful in our school and, and help our children. David, we'll go to you. Right, not much left to say except to go back to uh, um, Cheryl's uh, and Ryan's comment about um, the board members' roles in monitoring. Um, one of the things I'm really excited about is the fact that I am retired. Um, I, over the years, have so appreciated those uh, board members who, for whatever reason, were able to cruise the hallways of our schools, drop into classrooms, talk to teachers, talk to students. Um, and that's something that I, I think uh, I'm going to be able to do and I'm really looking forward to. All right. Um, student enrollment is a, a big part of what makes a district tick. Obviously, it's the children <laughs> that are um, actually in the schools, but it can it also dictates um, funding for a school district, which can have ripple effects to classroom sizes and number of teachers and all sorts of things. Um, where do you feel enroll student enrollment is for? the Telluride School District, and how do you um, manage that if enrollment goes down? And Ryan, we'll start with you. Really good question. I was hoping that I would be able to start with a softball, but you threw a curve uh, at me. Um, so we've, we've been seeing for the um, past few years a decline in total enrollment. And as we forecast that forward, obviously they're just projections. We don't know how it'll play out, but our current projections show a continued decrease in enrollment. And as, as you mentioned, that, that will also mean a decrease in funding uh, for the school district. So, but it also means uh, less of a need. I mean, there's less, we need less funding to provide a great education to less students. Um, we're working, the board has been working with John and Christine, our CFO, um, as well as the rest of the administrative team to, to start thinking um, a little bit more long-term uh, and, and looking, projecting forward five years and seeing what our funding will look like as well as our enrollment based on the current projections and figuring out how we can kind of maximize what funding we expect to have at that time to provide the best education for kids. Uh, we're kind of in the early stages of that five-year planning, but um, you know, I think it'll probably mean a lot of hard decisions uh, for the team to figure out the best way to navigate that. I think it's always easier when you're growing and have more money. Obviously, that means uh, more challenges and more students you have to provide for, but it also means you have a bigger pool of funding in order to provide that. We're gonna. It looks like we're going to be in the opposite situation uh, over the next several years, and uh, you know we're working hard to figure out how we can best navigate that, and again make sure that 
um, we can provide the same, if not better, uh, educational opportunities for our kids, even in that type of environment. Alexis, we'll go to you. Well, just to be full disclosure with my, my naivete, if I can even pronounce that word, is I feel like there are more kids here than ever before. And I was shocked to learn that our enrollment was going down because, like, there are more kids playing soccer this year than ever. Like, there are so many teams that obviously they all go to school here as well. But since that is not the case, um, I think that while our every year, even if your enrollment is up, is if you're being f uh, fiscally responsible, not wasting funds, you're allocating those things to the most, what needs the most attention, whether that be, you know, human resources, financial resources, um, which at the end of the day really become the same thing since we are paying our human resources um, to teach the children and make lunch and clean the school, all of that, is to just be responsible with spending whether you have a surplus of money coming in or not. Um, as the enrollment decreases, I, I, I just lost my train of thought. So again, full disclosure, um, total human right here. Um, so I'm just going to stop there because I can't remember what I was saying. Great. <laughs> Quentin, we'll go to you. Uh, thank you very much. Um, I'm, I'm going to probably end up repeating myself multiple times here. I wholeheartedly believe that the most important thing we do is educate our children. And the first line is our teachers. I think it's very important for enrollment that we not only uh, hire the right teachers, we train them properly, and we are able to return them, uh, retain them. Currently in Telluride, we have seen a decline in uh, retention of our teachers. We have seen several teachers leave our community via uh, being let go from the district, just moving on because they needed to go somewhere else. Actually, as a, as a Norwood teacher, uh, just yesterday we had two new students enroll in the Norwood district that left the Telluride district, and uh, next week we'll have another student that are joining us. And so to answer this question, I would say that what we need to do to make sure that we are retaining our students is we need to hire top quality teachers. We need to give them the best possible training out there, and we need to find a way to keep them here in our district um, more than one year or two years. I understand that there is a, a housing crisis. I understand that COVID has impacted this. Um, we are several years past COVID. Um, housing crisis is happening all over the nation. It's happening in Norwood. It's happening here. Um, so I really believe that these things do impact um, the, the retention of our, our enrollment of our students. But the number one thing is putting the right teachers in the right place and giving them the right training. Our students will appreciate the education that they are receiving. The parents will also appreciate that and they'll stay around longer. David, we'll go to you. Um, thanks. Yeah, I'm, frankly, I'm not terribly concerned about declining enrollments. I know that uh, the October count is, is critical to our, you know, to our funding, but um, you know, I have a perspective of, of a lot. Of, I, I can recall when we were graduating classes of 35, 40, 45, um, class sizes were much smaller. We were, frankly, a better school. And what, what happened, we had this huge bubble going through. I mean, now we've got, uh, what, 85, 90 or something, or close to 100 in the, uh, uh, and it's, you know, we, we reach this critical mass where we don't have 
quite enough students to uh, justify hiring additional faculty, but the faculty we have are getting crushed. I can remember my last few years when I was, you know, teaching classes of, you know, 28, 29, 30 students enrolled. I uh, didn't have room for them. I know on a national basis that doesn't seem like a huge class, but when we were down at, you know, 16, 17, 18 kids um, per class, we were much better. So, yes, the money's a concern, um, but I, 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 I don't think it will have an overall negative impact on us. All right, Cheryl, we'll go to you. Okay, so it is a big issue. Um, we have been watching it. The state allows us to do a five-year average on our student count to help ease the landing of a declining enrollment, for one. Um, and we are what, this, what uh, an editorial called the, the triple whammy this year, and that is high inflation, declining enrollment across the state, and the end of ESSER funds, which were federal money to mitigate COVID. Um, we were smart in that we used that money for specialists and not classroom teachers because we knew it would stop. But we have this year, even without the ESSER funds, we've kept the specialists because we see the need. And so we want to maximize that so when we can't keep them anymore, we've got the kids brought back as best as we can. Um, and for what David was saying, we have the challenge of small numbers. We get bulges, we get waste and skinny parts within our students. It isn't spread evenly across the grades. Um, but we've managed that forever. When my kids were in school, we had half as many kids. And so we just, year by year, make the adjustments, figure out how many sections we need for each grade, and move forward. All right. Coto listeners, as a reminder, you're tuned in to Off the Record, and we are chatting with the five candidates running for three seats on the Telluride School Board. We know that uh, roughly 30% of our population in San Miguel County is Spanish-speaking, which translates to the school as well, right? Um, how, in your role as a school board member, would you ensure that folks who are in the Spanish-speaking community um, have access to what is happening at the school board and the decisions that are being made by the district? And Alexis, we'll start with you. You know, I've noticed over the last several years um, increasing amount of every communication that comes from the schools in English and Spanish. When my kids first enrolled in the school district, it was an occasional note that would come through in Spanish and English, and particularly that would be present in the dual immersion program. And I feel that as as we've gone, especially since COVID, that the, the communication has increased and everything is sent in English and Spanish, which I think is, is vital for the parents of the Spanish-speaking students to feel included and in a part of things. They are a very important part of our community. And I always think if I was living in another country or somewhere where English wasn't the native language and I didn't speak the native language, that just getting that information in English, for in my case, would mean a lot and, and make me feel like my child is valued, my family's valued, my part of the community is valued. And I think that as we continue to do that, um, that that will, that momentum will, will carry us forward in including the key part of our community. Quinton, we'll go to you. 
Uh, thank you very much. Uh, engaging our Spanish students and their families is obviously going to be very important to us. Engaging all of our students and all of our parents is going to be important. I think the Telluride School District does a wonderful job. I receive emails on a daily basis that are both in Spanish and in English, and unfortunately I do not speak Spanish. But I do happen to have experience in the school district, and I know that a few years ago we had a teacher working for the district for several years who was a great liaison between our community and the school, our, our Spanish community and the school. And unfortunately, because of differences with our current administration, she left her position, and that vacancy has been filled by other teachers who are also equally doing a great job. But I think I would just go back to what I've stated previously, is that we need to get the right people in the right positions, and we give them the right training. And I think that if we do that, we will be able to reach all of our community members and our students. David, we'll go to you. Sure, thanks. Um, I think we're actually, I agree with Quentin, I think we're doing a pretty good job. Um, in the high school, um, I, I love the fact that uh, while we try to accommodate, uh, um, you know, some uh, Hispanic students who are, you know, working a couple of jobs, um, we don't, you know, limit them to that. Uh, I, I've been super pleased to see some of our um, Spanish-speaking students really excel, actually choose to pursue a, uh, you know, a, a four-year college track. I grew up with my wife and I got a just a dynamic young um, Hispanic woman, a full ride at, uh, at one of the top schools back east. Um, I think the DI program, I, it, you know, I, I retired before it really hit the high school, but I know that my daughter, who, uh, who lives in Mexico, um, wants to bring my three nietos down there um, up to Telluride, and they're very excited about enrolling those kids. So I think we're doing a pretty good job. Cheryl, we'll go to you. Yes, so that is a constant issue, is to make sure that they're welcome, that they feel engaged, that they succeed as best as they can. And um, through the liaison that we have had, many years, and there's been different people, we have learned how their life is different in school, whether it's having to work a job or babysit younger siblings, and try to work out ways that we can help them be successful at school in their situation. But I think what I'm most proud of is the DI program. So it started out, we did a two-year study, figured out that dual immersion is the best way to acquire a second language. And we have seen good successes. We're up to one year at a time. We started in kindergarten up to eighth grade now, so that's nine years. And we're seeing language acquisition by both the Anglophiles and the Latino community, which is very heartening. It's better than a pullout in a few minutes each day. Um, and test scores have actually, talk about monitoring, this year have actually showed that. Our um, Hispanic community in middle school has not only closed but exceeded the learning gap in math and we attribute that to being able to learn math in Spanish and it's very good to see that and it's it's a challenging program to implement it's not easy but the success is gratifying Brian we'll go to you yeah I uh, I, I really liked um, how Alexis started off saying um, you know, how would I want to be treated if I was raising my kids in a country that spoke another language? And I think this is a, hopefully a great platform where folks in our Latinx community are listening to this. And, you know, I'd love to say on behalf of the current school board that we, we talk a lot about how important the Latinx community is uh, to our community and especially our school district. And we're talking a lot about how we can kind of further embrace um, the Latinx community and get more parent involvement and make the kids feel um, 
you know, like they're any other kid uh, in the school district. And uh, folks have mentioned a lot of the successes that we've had um, that we're all very proud of. Uh, and I think we're all hoping to see more. Uh, Cheryl just mentioned some of the green shoots or some of the early signs of closing a lot of the um, uh, performance gaps that we've seen with our Latinx kids and our non-Latinx kids. And we're, we're working on ways and constantly trying to figure out ways that we can continue to um, close that gap so that all kids in our district, no matter what background they come from um, or what language is spoken in their home, can have the same opportunity to have the same great education and great outcomes. You kind of just brought us into it, but I did want to talk about the dual immersion program, um, which allows students to engage with their education, both English and Spanish. Um, you know, kind of just more generally, what would you say are your, your thoughts or opinions on the DI program and what's working and what could or should be changed or done differently within this program? And Quentin, we'll start with you. Thank you very much for that question. Um, I, I'm very pleased to hear that our Latino community is closing these gaps. It's very, very important for them. I know it's challenging to come to a new country and be taught in a different language, so I'm very pleased to hear that this program has been successful. But as a teacher who has spent time in the classrooms here in Telluride, not only in the traditional classroom but in the DI um, program, there are, are several things that concern me about this program. Um, one is that while it is effective for many of our students, I wholeheartedly believe it is not appropriate for all of our students. I would never say that it's not the right thing to learn a second language, but I would stop short of saying we should learn a second language instead of learning mathematics or reading and writing in our own um, language. And I say this because I've had a chance to sit in these classes and I've had a chance to work with some of our students who have been through this program up until the fourth grade and fifth grade, and I can see these deficits being made in our reading and our writing and our comprehension. And how I would change this program is I think that perhaps starting them off in kindergarten may be a challenge because as we know several of our kids five-year-olds come to school they're not prepared all the time and then now you're sitting in a class and you're being taught in a separate language and you spend half your day not knowing what's going on I actually had a, an experience one time where I was a paraprofessional class and I was working so hard to understand what was being taught and I left at the end of the day with a splitting headache because I don't speak Spanish and I could only uh, feel for our students who are caught in that situation where they are in the DI program and they're spending multiple hours of the day being spoken to in another language again being taught another language great idea in lieu of mathematics I'm not sure that that's a great idea so my proposed change would be that maybe in kindergarten we bring them in and then we have some kind of qualifying program to say okay this student is a student that has that aptitude that could spend time in a DI program and learn math or reading or writing through a separate language while acquiring that language and some students as we found out over the years have had to drop out of the program after two or three years because it just the program doesn't work for everything, and I th everyone, and I think that's something that as a teacher I understand um, because I've spent time in a classroom that while we try to implement all of these things at a board level or from a community level or a state level, um, when they trickle down into the classroom, they are very successful for many of our students, but not all of our students, and really what we need to do is differentiate for each and every one of those students. David, we'll go to you. 
I'm sure I, I've got to admit up front, I'm pretty uninformed. I haven't been in these uh, classrooms the way Quentin has. I would disagree, though, based on um, just watching my own grandchildren who, uh, um, you know, my son-in-law is actually Honduran. They left San Francisco, moved down to Cuernavaca um, several years ago, and watching my bilingual, and I'm working on my Spanish, it's not very good, muscle meno maybe, but uh, my um, <clears throat> watching my grandkids and the quality of their learning and the effect of being fluent in two languages, um, it's pretty phenomenal. Now, I don't know how, again, because I, I retired before uh, the DI made it to the high school, you know, obviously as a high school English teacher teaching primarily uh, juniors and seniors, I, I wasn't sure what my role would be, um, uh, you know, in the high school uh, portion of the DI program. Um, I have heard from parents who uh, worry that uh, um, those students who choose not to be in the DI program, there, there may be an overall lower skill level in their non-DI classes. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, but I, you know, my, my gut instinct is that the, uh, you know, the program is largely being successful with the, with the acknowledgement that, you know, like Quentin says, that it's not always going to work, but neither is, uh, you know, straight English instruction going to work for every kid. Cheryl. Yes. So when we first researched uh, dual immersion, one of the things that we were told very clearly is that there has to be a traditional classroom option because it's not right for every kid. And um, the, some of the advocates for dual immersion believe that the district should be 100% dual immersion, and that's just not what's best for the program. Um, so we always do have a traditional classroom option, um, and that after a, a certain point, unless the kid has um, experience with dual immersion, they aren't entering in late, you know, that they need to start in the kindergarten and hear it and understand it. Because the first thing you learn, if you've ever learned a foreign language in country, the first thing you could do is hear separate words and then start understanding and then start speaking. So it's a process. Um, and it's not instructional necessarily. I mean, it is, but it, well, anyway. We do hire teachers that are trained in dual immersion and how to implement it. And having uh, ideally 30% of a native speaker, whether you're on the English side or the Spanish side, is the ideal so that every kid is empowered and knows what's going on. Uh, the first year, a friend of mine had her kid in kindergarten dual immersion, and she asked him, what do you do? the half of the day that's in Spanish and you don't understand. I follow my Spanish speaking friends and figure it out that way. And so it's very empowering for all the kids. And um, we have been updating the program. So like lower grades, they get both math in English and Spanish. In the higher grades, then it's by individual subject and it changes periodically. So you might get math and Spanish for a quarter, and then get math and English for a quarter. So to cover all the bases. Ryan. Thank you. Uh, so I agree with David. Um, I, and what Quentin said about it not being right for every child, I think that, that it's, that's unequivocally true. Uh, there's not one cookie cutter way of educating any, any kid. And DI is um, you know, similar to any other option that we have. But I, I do disagree that um, the data shows that 
it's it's been a wonderful uh, educational opportunity for our kids. Not only are they learning another language, but we see the test results when we compare non the traditional classes that are non-DI to our DI students. What we expect to see, especially in the early years, is they're you know catching up because they're learning a lot more. They're learning things in a different language, and we expect them to kind of um, start to catch up to kids uh, who are in the traditional classes in later years. We see them actually performing at a very similar level. So I think the data actually supports that it's working very uh, well. And I'm a big proponent of it. I'm also putting my money where my mouth is because my youngest child not only is in the DI program, but she started with the, the uh, district's DI preschool, uh, and it's been a great experience for her. Alexis. I think that our ability to offer the DI program is phen phenomenal. I do think that when it comes to whether you enroll your child in the traditional or the DI program is up to a parent and guardian to make that decision and that we should offer the best education we can in both programs and let parents make that decision. And if a kid is struggling in DI, that we are welcoming to bring them into the traditional program and support that student in that change and adjustment. I, when my when I enrolled my children, we they're both in the traditional program because I personally felt for them, starting kindergarten, real school, in learning these new skills, particularly for my youngest, who it was during COVID when he started kindergarten, that that would just be too much and too overwhelming for them. But that was our family decision and for us. And I don't think that the school, the school board, anybody should make that decision for families. We offer two great programs. What works best for your family? Quinton, you've touched on this several times, um, but I would love to hear, recognizing that you all said that the school board kind of serves as this higher level guiding light for the school district. What do you feel like the school board can do and your role as a school board member can do to support teachers in the classroom to be able to do their work to, to their best ability and then in turn to our students' best ability? And David, we'll start with you. Well, again, I mean, over the years, uh, I have so valued, uh, we've had we've had terrific school boards and we've had uh, uh, the school board members have been very accessible. Um, you know, we, they, you know, they, they listen, um, they, you know, evaluate our concerns and frustrations. Um, they share with us, uh, you know, those, those terrific moments, which are what make, um, make teaching so great. Um, but it's really the accessibility of the, of the, of the, of the uh, school board and their willingness not to, you know, to respect the professionalism of, of teachers at all levels, K through 12, and, uh, and to respond to um, legitimate concerns. Cheryl. Yes, so I think part of it is, yes, the overarching goal is the success and education of our students, but we have to pay attention and monitor all the little pieces, and hopefully they are the hidden pieces, because if they become a problem, they're not hidden anymore. So if it's infrastructure, if it's a balanced budget, if it's um, food service, all those little things that make for a healthy and enriching environment um, need to be paid attention to and monitored with the primary goal being the education of our students. Ryan. I think no organization can achieve its goals without doing an exceptional job in attracting and growing and retaining great talent. Uh, 
from my experience, we're very fortunate to have a great team of teachers and the rest of the staff uh, in the school district. Um, I think there are ways that we can continue to improve, especially when it comes to attracting uh, great talent and continuing to attract great teachers uh, to our school district. We can also improve uh, on ways to make our teachers feel more valued uh, and 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 recognize the, the difference they're making in the students' lives uh, that they're working with in our district. Just today, um, several of the school board members, we had lunch with uh, some of the teachers at TIS. And I, I could see in their eyes, they loved uh, having us there. They loved seeing that we wanted to hear their feedback, hear their opinions, and hear how they thought that we could have a better district and ways that we could improve. And, uh, you know, they came up to us afterwards and said, thank you so much for doing this. We feel valued. And, you know, the number one people, number one reason why people leave their job is because they don't feel valued. And so I think continuing to find ways that we can do that as a district and the leadership team within the district, making the teachers uh, feel valued. And again, understanding the difference they're making in our students' lives can uh, be great for the teachers. All right, we have a call on the line, but we're going to get the last two folks to give their answer on this one, and then we'll bring the, the caller up. So, Alexis, we'll go to you. I would say that in any institution, organization, listening to the people who are doing the day-to-day -day work and are on the ground is key. They know the, the little bit, the little things that could make a huge difference and change, and even sometimes just being able to express that to someone and knowing that they will take it into account will have a huge impact. And that doesn't mean that teachers would dictate what the school board is doing. Um, everyone should be able to offer their opinion and particularly those who have the experience of being working with the students and what it's like to be a teacher in Telluride. And so I think the more info we can gather from them, the, the greater the school board can be. Quentin. Thank you very much. Uh, after finishing my service for the United States Army, I have since dedicated my life to education. And first and foremost, I, I think very highly of anyone who works in education, dedicates their time to help education. Um, and so I really have great appreciation for all of our teachers in the Telluride School District and the current board members. Um, I do, however, wholeheartedly believe that the most important thing we can do right now at this point is uh, put some uh, teachers who have experience inside the classroom on our board. And the community is very lucky that you have two teachers that are currently running for the board. I think that our voices can help uh, direct and guide our, our school district in the right direction and, and, and help our students. Um, I also believe that, um, you know, sometimes when we have new uh, administration comes in, they come in, they do wonderful things, uh, they change things. And then after some time, this might be my, my, uh, my background as a military member speaking where I got to travel a lot. I think that sometimes change is in order because I think sometimes gets stagnant. And I think right now we are at a critical moment after about four years passing COVID where we need to put some teachers on our board and it might be, look, it might be time to look at a change in our administration. All right, we're going to bring um, our caller up on the line. Hi, you're live on Kodo. Uh, diving a little bit deeper into the um, housing component of the bond levy. Um, you know, given the increasing cost of um, 
building and producing um, uh, deed-restricted home ownership units, um, uh, as in the Meadows uh, right now, with Meadow Lark, um, can the school district, as a component of a fiscally run organization, uh, do anything to help make sure we get a little bit better deal on our housing in the future, uh, maybe cut them a discount um, for the school district as well so they're not paying um, a full retail when they're buying in what you could call wholesale pre-sale quantities. Um, and uh, uh, I guess leave it there. Thank you. Perfect. Thanks for your question. Um, so that question was about um, affordable housing and, and 4A, which is the bond measure before um, the t- before voters this November. I'm going to kind of, because it was on my list to ask later anyway, um, expand a little bit. So, you know, asking about affordable housing for, for teachers or for employee housing for teachers, but also um, this bond measure would, would raise money for the district. What... What is your view on what happens if 4A doesn't pass? And Cheryl, we'll start with you. Okay. So uh, the caller called in specifically about housing. Um, We currently have enough housing for about 15% of our staff. If 4A does not pass, we have the capacity to acquire one more unit, and then that's it. Um, And housing has become a critical issue this year, it's been the primary reason that um, applicants out of district have not applied for jobs. And it's always been an issue, but this year it's worse than ever. Um, so that's going to be the biggest impact. The other uh, impact is the balance of the bond would go to maintaining our facilities and keeping them up to state. And many of the projects that have become critical, we can't put Band-Aids on them anymore would have to be delayed or um, modified in some way. So, um, and the capital hit would on us without the bond would be heavy, about three times a normal year. Ryan, we'll go to you. Caller, thank you very much for uh, calling in with your question. Hopefully we can get more. Um, I'm not a real estate expert, but when um, the the district leadership and the board has um, sought out that expertise, we've been told that not to expect that uh, real estate prices are going to go down. So it's not there's not going to be opportunities for us to acquire this um, affordable housing for our team at cheaper prices. And we've also been told that um, you know the ability for our teachers and staff to afford housing is is not going to get better. So for us, the only logical um, answer to that problem is to continue to be buying up uh, housing for our staff. I think, you know, I do have a deep finance background. I uh, worked for a large investment firm for a number of years, and now I'm an investor in small private businesses. And I think we do a very good job of understanding what our options are for providing this affordable housing to our team and figuring out the most cost-effective way to do that and also trying to find opportunities as you mentioned where i forget your words exactly but i would say kind of where we can get deals um uh in order to be able to provide the affordable housing at a lower cost 
Alexis. Obviously, affordable housing is a hot topic these days and has been for years around here. Um, and I, I do think it's a, a vital component to um, attracting and retaining top quality teachers. I sometimes worry that our focus on affordable housing detracts from other issues that, um, that face the school, the community in general. Um, having said that, we need housing. Do I think that, again, also not a real estate expert, not even an investment expert, um, but it doesn't seem like building housing right now is the best use of money. It's incredibly expensive. The Meadowlark um, development that the caller discussed down in the Meadows, the townhouses are going, going to be $900,000, and that's after the town of Mountain Village has contributed millions of dollars to buy down that price and part of that is just because it's expensive to build and so to get a deal you really got to have the developers be willing to give you a deal the school board the school district uh, doesn't have much control over that so it would be great to get a to get a deal um, but I also I don't want affordable housing to be the only issue that that we focus on for the community or the school district in general. Quinton. Wow, affordable housing. We only have 12 minutes, huh? Before I get to the affordable housing, I would like to uh, acknowledge uh, the bond measure. I would say uh, anytime we can squeeze money out of anywhere to pump into our education system, that's going to be a win provided we are able to use those funds properly. Um, as far as affordable housing, you know, it's it's a tough situation. Our town, our, our housing prices are getting astronomical and most people cannot afford that on a teacher's salary. I believe currently our practice is that these uh, deed restricted homes that the, uh, that the school district um, own, we tend to uh, put them out to our newer teachers to entice them to come here, but then after two years or three years, I'm not sure the amount of time they're allowed to stay in them, what do we do with them? Are they going to stay in the district? Are they going to be long-term teachers? Or are they coming here for a nice three-year staycation in our beautiful community and then taking their talents elsewhere? Uh, I would I would be curious to see how it would play out if we could uh, keep teachers that we know are doing excellent work in our school and provide them with affordable housing so that they have a place to stay long term. And, and I know 15 houses is not going to cover all of our needs, but if we could put teachers in there that we know are committed to our district and are going to stay here for long term, I think that might be a better route than just providing them to our newer teachers and then they stay here for three years and then take off because there is no other option. David. I'll be quick because I want to get the um, other caller in. It sounded like Doug, too, on the phone. So, Doug, thank you. That was you. Thanks for the call. Um, I share your frustration. I, I think that, uh, you know, 4A is a big ask coming on top of, uh, you know, the, uh, the fire district and now 6A, um, HH. But I think it's a really necessary one. I, I don't know um, what the solution is. I also share your frustration, that as, you know, as uh, Alexis referred. I mean, a one-bedroom in Meadowlark, even with a $200,000 subsidy, is going to be $542,000. What sort of, I mean, what sort of reality is that uh, affordable? At the same time, I know that I could never return to Telluride to teach if I didn't have uh, my family home here. Um, so it's something we're going to have to keep butting our heads against and, and try to come up with creative solutions. All right, let's see if we can get this caller. Hi, you're live on Kodo. Hi there. Um, 
This is Terry DeStefano, and I don't really have a question, but I do have something I want to say. And I would just like to publicly thank Dave Lavender for being responsible for pretty much every kid that came that he came into contact with for teaching them how to write because it's kind of amazing when I run up against where other kids came from. They did a really, really good job. And again, thank you, Dave. Thank you, Carrie. Thanks for your pleasure. call. All right. In our, I know we're running actively up to the end of the hour. It always goes so fast. Yes. Um, uh, school districts and school boards across the country have kind of become hot spots or, or places for contentious conversations when it comes to um, LGBTQIA education, um, race issues, book bans, and the like. It isn't something that we have come across in Telluride in an extensive uh, capacity. But, you know, what are your, your thoughts on these challenges? And if you were um, on the school board and these sorts of challenges came up, how would you address them? And I think we're starting with... Ryan. I think we're starting with Ryan. I don't want to start, but I think it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, great question. You know, there was a contingent school board uh, meeting a year and a half ago that we had to hold in the Palm Theater. And for me, attending that, not as a school board member, but just as a constituent community member, it was such a beautiful reaffirmation of this community's values. Um, and I, it really touched me in a deep, deep way. And the first thing I said to my wife when I came home, who was staying home with our kids, was, I'm so glad we live in this community, and I'm so glad that our kids are, are able to grow up uh, in this community, in this environment. I can say that when those issues have come up in school board meetings, I've been nothing but genuinely impressed uh, and in awe at how well our staff uh, are navigating a lot of those you know, difficult issues. I mean, it's difficult for the kids as they're figuring out who they are and who they want to be. And it's difficult for the school to figure out what's the right balance of, figuring out, of determining what's best for the kid, what's best for the parent, what's best for our broader community. And, you know, they're, they're not easy. None of the things you mentioned are really easy um, issues to address or solve. But I feel like our school district is approaching each of them from a place of compassion for the kids, trying to figure out what's best uh, for our kids to support them uh, emotionally and socially and helping them to grow up. I love how David said uh, earlier to achieve their fullest potential. Uh, and I haven't, I haven't seen uh, any area, maybe some small things where we could uh, make improvements, um, but in general, everybody's approaching, everyone that I've seen is approaching these issues with the best of intentions and doing what's best for the kids. And, and I, I really love that. Alexis. Um, I have to agree with Ryan with the uh, school board meeting that he referenced from last year that the community came out and supported our, our, our own selves, the community, the school, everything. And it made me so happy to live here because I've always lived in traditionally liberal places, very open-minded places. And I think that education is a key part of that. And by exposing kids to people who have different thoughts, different beliefs, 
it's only going to benefit them more. And so what the school can do to support that and encourage um, acceptance of different people is is amazing. And one of the ways to do that is to live with them, to go to school with them, to understand someone as, oh, this is just a person, whether they have different, you know, sexuality or anything of that nature. It doesn't it doesn't matter when it comes down to it. They're just a person. And when you get to know them on that level, I think it it just opens your mind, particularly if maybe at home your parents don't have such an open mind, but you can be exposed to that. And that's how change is slowly made throughout the country. And I've always joked that I think high school students in the, in the U.S. need to study, like someone from Mississippi needs to come go to school in Telluride. Telluride, you need to go to school in Alabama so you understand people's, where they're coming from and why they think the way they do. And just the more you understand people, the more open you are. And I think the, the more whole person you are. And so I think anything the school board can do to support teachers and students in that is one of our top priorities. Quinton. Uh, thank you very much. First, I'd just like to comment on our last caller. I have had the opportunity to work with David Lavender, and I would agree, amazing teacher. I wholeheartedly believe, and I know I've used that word several times, that we need teachers on our board. Our board of education, as we've stated earlier, is an, a liaison between our community. And um, I was at the meeting, and I do, I do uh, share what um, Ryan and Alexa said, is that it was a beautiful moment where our community showed up in numbers. But also it was a tragic moment because unfortunately at the end of that meeting, we didn't adhere to what our community was sharing with us. They came and spoke in numbers in support of our teacher who we ended up in the long term letting go. Um, so our community, our community needs to be heard by our board and our board needs to listen to our community. Uh, about a year and a half ago when I started attending meetings regularly, our, uh, our community um, moment to speak at our meeting was embedded somewhere way at the end of the the meeting um, we were allowed only three minutes um, I even noticed that sometimes when people had something to say that was on their chest and they ran over three minutes even though there was nobody in the crowd they were cut off and they were not allowed to go beyond three minutes um, I had at a meeting made a recommendation that we move that up front Thankfully, the board listened, and the, the moments for our, our community to speak is up front. They even have an opportunity to uh, respond to them. And so I think really what we need to do to squash this kind of uh, back and forth between the community and the board is our board needs to understand that they are the liaison between the school and the community. And when our community shows up to speak in numbers, we really need to listen to what they have to say. David. Yeah, I know we're running out of time here, but I'll be quick. Um, yeah, that, that meeting was uh, was one of the high points of my career. Um, and it was sad because, I mean, the you know, the Gay-Straight Alliance, which was being ob objected to, uh, the, the key word there is alliance. It's two groups coming together to promote tolerance. Um, I know that these are fraught issues. I certainly, you cannot teach critical thinking without teaching difficult texts. Um, and you know, I've had parents over the years uh, come to me, uh, and we've you know we've had open community lines of communication. That's key. I mean, 
parents need to look at teachers as their partners in their child's education. And I listen in when, 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 you know, when students object to a, uh, or rather parents object, students really do, never do actually. When a parent objects to a certain uh, part of my curriculum, which I put a ton of thought into and I'm teaching purposefully, um, I'll respect that. A parent has a right to do that. Uh, it always saddens me because it basically removes that child from what I think is a really productive um, you know, unit and conversation. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I'll echo what, uh, what Ryan and, and others have said and Alexis about how, how wonderful it was to be able to teach in this community that was so open and was so supportive. So. Cheryl. Okay, last but not least. Um, so again, I'll reiterate that one meeting. I mean, there was 700 people, 400 in the Palm, 300 on Zoom. There could have been more. But Zoom, we didn't realize, maxed out at 300. Um, and it was meant it wasn't just parents. It was the whole community. And it was heartwarming and amazing. Um, and I look at it and I say, you know, we need to respect everyone's view. And so I, like the Gay Straight Alliance, got a um, grant to get a gender-neutral bathroom. And they did it very thoughtfully and very carefully so that it didn't offend anybody either. It wasn't, no one had to go into it if they didn't want to. Um, the, what David's talking about, there's always been an opt-out. If a parent felt like uh, a book or a program was too controversial, um, whether it was sex ed or uh, explicit language in a book, there's always another option. And I think it's respect is the key thing and tolerance. All right, I'm gonna beg for Rock and Rob's forgiveness um, and go over a little bit because we have. I just have a couple more things that we want to uh, touch on. Um, I would love, you know, we've covered uh, a lot of subjects this evening. There's plenty of subjects that we haven't covered. What do you feel like is um, the topic that maybe we haven't talked talked about that maybe isn't talked about as much that should be that should be more at the forefront of people's brains when we're thinking about the school district alexis i'm like please don't start with me please don't start with me because it's a great question for which i do not have even a good answer at the moment um i think there are so many different things that are key to a child's education to a community particularly a small community such as ours um that different things that at different moments in time will rise to the surface of being the priority. Um, currently there are many things that are a priority and learning to balance those is, is tough. And um, I just think being open and communicating about all topics, no matter how great or small is important for the school board. And again, for the community as a whole. Quinton. I think that if you spent time with me in a classroom or having conversations about any of these topics that we talk to, you know that I am completely willing to step on toes, to open eyes. Um, 
I believe complacency can be very dangerous for us. And while we've done a lot of great things, I think that we've seen a number of our board members spend several years on our board. We've seen administration who's been sitting in their position for several years. And while they might have done a fine job over the years, I think that it's time to be progressive and, and, and maybe turn the page and, and open a new chapter in this book. Um, I think that with that change um, is going to come great success. There always is going to be struggles with change, but I think that it is time to uh, change our community a little bit and move forward into the future. David. Oh, gosh, so so many topics. Um, I'm interested, uh, you know, as an English teacher, uh, how, how we incorporate new technologies uh, like AI into into the classroom, and which they benefit some classrooms and, and don't so much others. I think one of my primary concerns is that um, we have three terrific schools in this town, but they're three kind of separate schools. Um, I think in 18 years, um, while I had an intimate understanding of what was going on in various classrooms in the uh, intermediate and uh, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, in the uh, middle of high school, I didn't, I wasn't as familiar, I'm not as familiar with either the intermediate or the elementary, and I'd love to see a way that we could foster more um, K through 12 uh, vertical integration. It's tough because teachers are overwhelmed, and that's the sort of extra thing that often just falls by the wayside because there's no time for it. But I'd love to see a, uh, you know, more unified um, approach, more, you know, in services where I could meet with or where teachers could meet with you know, K through 12 in their department, language arts, math, science, whatever. Cheryl. Yes, so um, I think it's, a lot of people have hit on it, having quality faculty is number one. And uh, it gets difficult for a whole host of reasons. But um, we do have a high quality staff. We do have some of the longest tenure average of any district. Um, but we need to look to the future and how things are going to roll out forward. Um, within that, what Dave is talking about is that K-12 integration. And there has been work in just the last couple of years to get literacy more articulated, uh, scope and sequence, you know, all those technical names, but to get it so that everyone's working on the same page and working towards the same goal. and. Um, we need time to get it fully integrated and engaged and trained. And then we'll deal with math. Math has been one of those areas that has always gone lower than our expectations. And we're going to start digging into the science of math. How do you teach math so that kids are not put off, they're not shut down, that they get it? And uh, that's next. Ryan. This is going to sound like a really dorky answer and not very sexy or interesting, but I think um, continuing to push to make more data-driven and analytical-based decisions uh, for the district, I think you know it's very different when you're talking about what's best for one kid, but when we're looking at um, you know how we're doing educating 900 kids in our district, uh, you know, we can't rely on anecdotal evidence. We have to make sure that we have the right data, we're focusing on the right metrics and holding ourselves to the right standards uh, for that metrics. And, uh, you know, Quentin has mentioned wanting to see kind of wholesale changes at administration level several times. And I respectfully disagree with that and, and wholeheartedly disagree with that because as I look at all the data we have as a district, I don't really see any metric that suggests that that would be what's best for our kids going forward. You know, I think we definitely don't need wholesale changes. It's, there are lots of incremental changes that we can make to improve this district for sure. 
but you know I, I've really enjoyed working with the current administrative team I think they're doing a fantastic job and I think the data supports that all right we're gonna again just beg forgiveness I have a couple rapid-fire questions before we get to closing statements and you get one word oh, right oh, I know um, and this one I guess is is maybe an easy we, we didn't get to it so we're just gonna go through it but um, Voters are also considering um, annexing the town of Rico into the school district. So this is going to be a yes or no um, answer. Do you support that that ballot measure to bring the town of Rico into the Telluride R1 school district? Quinton? Yes. David? Yes, I do. Cheryl? Yes. Ryan? Yes. Alexis? Yes. Okay, that one was easy. Um, <laughs> if you had one extra hour in the day, what would you do with it? David? Uh, as a teacher or just generally? Just generally. No, I'd just be out with my dogs or on my new e-bike. All right. Cheryl? I'd probably be playing with my grandkids. Ryan? Somewhere outside, hiking or biking or skiing. Alexis? Super boring, but I'd sleep. <laughs> Quinton? I'm still a teacher, David, so I'd probably spend that time grading papers. <laughs> um, what is your favorite thing about Telluride schools? Cheryl? The history and the sense of community. Ryan? I love how we're focused on raising smart, independent, and adventurous kids. Alexis? Along the lines of what Ryan said is that we are focusing on the whole student and we have amazing kids in this community and I think that, that the school is really part of that. Quinton? Uh, the strength of the family unit in our community and their willingness to send their their child ready to and prepared to be educated. David. Yeah, it's all about the kids. Uh, these uh, inquisitive, curious, adventurous, um, resilient children. I mean, teaching here as opposed to teaching in suburban Chicago or something is just can't even compare. All right, um, and with that, I'm gonna leave a few. Well, leave go over more um, a few moments for some closing thoughts from each of you and, and Ryan we'll start with you thank you again for having us uh, again my name is Ryan Robinson it's been an honor and privilege to serve on the school board uh, for the last year and a bit and I'm hopeful that my background I mentioned earlier kind of my finance background uh, you know my professional history I, I ran a data center company for a number of years and now I invest in young entrepreneurs who are running their own businesses. And so I have a lot of experience helping organizations achieve its full potential, helping organizations get better at attracting and growing and retaining great talent, helping organizations make sure they're focusing on the right things. And I also have a lot of finance background and try to put that to good use on the school board. Uh, I'm doing this because I feel like I can make a difference uh, for the kids in this community, and I'm hopeful uh, people will consider voting for me uh, so that I can continue to serve. Alexis. Um, I am, again, lost my train of thought. I'm so sorry. Um, I have a background in accounting, and in prior to moving back to Telluride six years ago, just celebrated my return anniversary, um, I worked for the state auditor in Washington State, and one of the audits that I conducted was the Seattle School District, and looking at their finances and doing accountability audits. Um, and I think that background would be a huge help in uh, 
my participation in the school board and bringing kind of the the nerdy accounting side, um, make it a little more fun, but still, you know, fact-based. Um, so yeah, I would ask that you consider voting for me as well, Alexis Hodel. Quinton. Uh, thank you very much. Um, this is my 12th year in public education and my 20th year in education. Um, I have been working on my master's, as I stated earlier, uh, in ed education administration. Uh, through this process, I've been able to sit in on many board meetings, both in our district and out of our district. I've worked uh, closely with, our, with the school principal in the Norwood community to implement several different programs um, throughout this past three years. And what I think I can bring to the Telluride board is uh, my experience as a teacher, as an educator in the classroom, and as someone who wholeheartedly and sincerely wants to see the best for all of our students and I think sometimes in order to get that done um, as many of you in this community know I am willing to step on toes to open eyes my name is Quentin Strand and please vote for me in November all right David uh, I think it's a real testament to, to this town that we've produced five I think really strong candidates for this uh, for this volunteer position um, it's been good getting to know Alexis I've worked with Quentin before I just want to close by throwing my, I decided to run because I knew that, uh, that Dylan Brooks was, was termed out. Um, I have so appreciated over the years um, you know, Cheryl's support, and Ryan has done a terrific job. Um, so my, I'm actually going to be voting for them. Um, so I guess it's kind of the three of us for an open seat. That's my view. Thanks. All right, and Cheryl. So I am very proud of my tenure on the school board. Um, I have learned a lot and have really loved working with this team on the current school board, the administration, the team that we have currently, and look forward to being able to continue that work with the new team, because we'll have one new member for sure, and, um, and that makes a new board. And I want to be able to work forward, look forward collegially, collaboratively, and for the betterment of our schools. Perfect. Well, um, that is over the time that we have um, for this evening's program. Thank you to David Lavender, Cheryl Karstens-Miller, Ryan Robinson, Alexis Hodel, and Quinton Strand. Thank you for joining us this evening. Thank you to our listeners. Thanks who called in. Thanks, Rock and Rob, for letting us extend into your show a little bit. Um, KOTO, we are hosting election coverage all fall. So next Tuesday, we will have, uh, we'll be broadcasting the Progressive Women's Caucus Candidate Forum on October 17th. We'll have a Spanish election program on the 24th and a program looking at ballot measures up for the vote on the 31st, and that all leads up to election night on Tuesday, November 7th. If you missed any of our election coverage so far or you want to take a listen back, you can head over to our elections page at koto.org under the News tab. And as a reminder, ballots will be mailed out on Monday, October 16th, and you can check your voter registration at govotecolorado.gov. Thank you all for being here this Thank evening. You. Thank you, Thank you. Thanks for listening to Off the Record. Opinions expressed on this show are those of our guests. Join us again next week for another installment. And in the meantime, drop us a line at news at koto.org with feedback and ideas. Off the record.